everyone I can see. There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Over the North Atlantic, toward the east coast of the United States. Jobs. I'm Gene O'Neill. To the victor go the spoils. In the case of World War II, following the collapse of the Nazi regime, the spoils weren't land, resources, or even sweet, sweet, Nazi-cofficated Jew gold, but scientific research and anti-Soviet intelligence. Germany had made unparalleled advances in numerous scientific fields during the war, including, but not limited to, chemistry, medicine, and perhaps most importantly, aeronautics and rocketry. The U.S. government was just as determined to acquire this invaluable data for themselves as they were to keep it out of the hands of those plucky upstarts, the Soviet Union. The program for putting these German scientists, engineers, and intelligence officers on the U.S. government payroll was known as Operation Paperclip. Here to discuss this program are gay Nazi and post-war espionage expert Brian Lane and conspiracy theorist Lee Golden. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Lee. I'm a Jew. So, needless to say, I'm always on the hunt for Nazis. Brian, why don't you set the scene for the end of World War II? Um, you know, I don't know if I can start that late. I might have to go back to the founding of the German Empire in 1870. <laughs> so, you guys Okay, could... Brian, so why don't you start us off with the founding of the Holy Roman Empire? <laughs> <laughs> so, if you guys want to zone out for a while, I could just edit this out later. Okay, sure. Um, no, so... Uh, at the end of uh, uh, towards the end of World War II, Germany was investing more and more money into um, different kinds of scientific projects. They, for a while, had a nuclear program going that was uh, in part worked on by uh, Heisenberg of the Uncertainty Principle fame. But eventually, they realized Heisenberg that... <laughs> of uh, Breaking Bad fame. Uh, exactly, and but they realized that distrib- distributing meth to German soldiers was actually working great. So they switched from the nuclear program to exclusively producing meth to send to the Eastern Front. Right, and uh, Hitler said, "I am the one who knocks." <laughs> <laughs> he also coincidentally killed Gus Fring. Um, but uh, but no, one of their big programs was they had been sending V1, and uh, the V and V, uh, V1 and the V2 program that came later stands for Vergeltungswaffe, which is a German word that means like vengeance or retaliation. And this uh, was the forerunner to the V8 juice that, <laughs> that took America by storm. Right, right. It's the only drink that's uh, better than Sunny D. Um, but the, so the V1 was just a, a bomb that, that could be launched and flown. It wasn't a true missile. Uh, it, it took until they created the V2, which was also known as the, uh, Aggregat 4, the A4 in technical terms. And they, uh, they set up this, uh, this launch, uh, launch site at Penemünde, which is in Northern Germany. And they just started firing V2 rockets at, at first, London, but then it switched to Antwerp and, and other locations in northern Germany as the Allies invaded. And the Allies, and when I say Allies, I mean the big three. So the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, and America all wanted to get their hands on this technology because it was really the only uh, missile technology that existed in the world. Great. So the the Nazis were developing all these super weapons because they knew that uh, in terms of traditional warfare, the the war was basically lost. 
And um, by the time the the war was over uh, in 1945, the Russians and the American intelligence and scientific um, um, agents are pouring all over um, the you know ravaged war zone to try to find not only the weapons themselves but the scientists who had developed them. Um, and it became this race to grab up as many intelligence and scientific assets, both human and material, um, before, um, you know, things started getting carved up and the Iron Curtain fell. I don't know. I think, uh, like, April, May, June, uh, 1945 Europe seems like the most interesting place. It's just like... There's destruction everywhere, and then there are these rival gangs of intelligence and science officers from the different allied armies all hunting down these different Nazi specialists. And like I I was making a joke about methamphetamine earlier, but actually the German army and even the American army were supplying their soldiers with methamphetamines so that they could stay awake and fight, you know, days and days at a time. And that was an example of one of the things that the Allies were after, getting getting the Nazi supply of meth at the right. end of World War II. But um, I, I can't remember the uh, the name of the force, the American force, but the, the British force was called the T-Force. Um, and Named the, after Mr. T, who founded the organization. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he pitied uh, those Nazis. Um, no... <laughs> It was the tactical force, and this was made up of uh, like an elite squad, uh, or not squad, but an elite team of British military uh, professionals who were on the lookout for missiles, rocketry, avionics, medicine, any sort of technology the Germans had developed over the course of the war that they could not only get for themselves, but keep away from the Soviets. Basically the forerunner to the uh, impossible mission agency we're talking yes. about here exactly and before each mission they would have a fuse burned down before they ran out of the building just really set the stakes for the entire mission right you don't want to just get the data and then walk out the front door you want to right. blow the whole building up and give yourself <laughs> just enough time to get out exactly if you look at each mission that the tactical force went on there at least one of the soldiers hung from suspended wires in order to collect files while wearing sunglasses. Exactly. While being Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big problems with a lot of the technology that Germany had developed over the course of the war was, as you might have heard, the Germans didn't so much care about human rights. And so, <laughs> and so a lot of the technology had been built by slave labor. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily Jews and uh, Soviet POWs who were taken to, uh, for instance, in in terms of the the V2 program, there was an underground facility in uh, near the Dora concentration camp. It was called the the middle the Mittelwerk? the Mittelwerk, yeah, Kraftwerk. Yeah, it was the Kraftwerk, and mm-hmm. this is where they built the autobahn originally. But then they switched over. to They making... built the whole autobahn road, and that before they <laughs> yeah. moved it out there and. Right, exactly. Well, the, well, the, well, the Audubon was originally intended to be uh, like a, like a landing area for German bombers. So that was that was what they really wanted to build the Audubon for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all these slaves were being used to create this rocket technology, and a lot of the scientists who were involved with the program were well aware and even. Uh, administratively and responsible for the slave labor that they were overseeing. Precisely. Right. One uh, one of those guys was Arthur Rudolph, who was brought over on Operation Paperclip. And uh, as you said, Brian, he, he wasn't just you know kind of concerned with the rocket construction and then whatever labor conditions attendant to it he was unaware of, but he was actually he even decided uh, what how much food they would get or what their sleeping conditions would be, how many right. toilets they would get. Right. And if you're uh, – Albert Speer is a, is a sort of interesting figure in uh, the higher echelons of Nazi power because he was uh, – you might know him as like Hitler's architect. He, exactly. He, he designed a lot of the things that were that – were, 
that Nazi Germany was supposed to build in Berlin to make a new Germania. Germania, precisely. Albert Speer, a lot of people say, was actually sort of Hitler's favorite of his higher-ups. In a lot of ways, Albert Speer was who Hitler wanted to be. He was a more artistic person, um, Mm -hmm. a more generally liked and urbane person and some say that they he wanted him to um, be his successor and as you mentioned Brian he designed this future city called Germania that was basically um, kind of like Nazi Disneyland and, yeah no it, um, that that is it, that is a really apt uh, comparison because esen- essentially the uh, Disneyland's world of tomorrow was basically inspired by Germania precisely and that actually connects very directly to what we're talking about. So Werner von Braun, the uh, gentleman who was, you know, one of the primary uh, rocket scientists. On he was the he was the director of the V two program. Exactly. So I don't want to I don't I want to kind of skip over how he gets into America because that's kind of what Operation Paperclip is about. But in the 1960s, he was one of Walt Disney's experts on the world of tomorrow. So literally the Nazis that were building rockets later were helping to build Disney World. Yeah. So Von Braun is kind of the spiritual Fuhrer of the world of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I, uh, when I brought up Albert Speer, I was going to say he was in charge of the uh, armaments and uh, a lot of the supply for concentration camps towards the end of the war. And he actually ordered that the caloric intake of uh, uh, concentration camp inmates be uh, be raised, but none of them were. Uh, so, you know, this Rudolph, uh, Dr. Rudolph, who Jean just mentioned, uh, if he was in, in charge of the caloric intake of these inmates... And he didn't raise them. It was of his own decision. Right. And 20,000 people died um, at the Dora Nudhausen concentration camp, um, the Middlework factory. Um, and uh, beatings, hanging, starvation. And, you know, Rudolf himself had been a Nazi party member since 1931. So it's not like these guys were just scientists, you know, who were interested in pure science. They, these were real hardcore Nazis. Would Arthur Rudolph, would you guys consider him a uh, ardent Nazi or a casual Nazi? He was a dilettante-ish Nazi, but you know, they wouldn't let him play you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Nazi. They wouldn't let him play any of their Nazi games. That is a, that is a perfectly apt analogy. He was also sort- stop motion. <laughs> well, one thing, one thing that's kind of hard to was, – was hard – for the Allies in general in determining who they could work with to develop a post-war Germany and who was trustworthy in building a post-war Germany was that so so many places, uh, uh, like administrative, government certainly, military, um, science, medicine, all sorts of different careers required Nazi Party citizen, uh, membership. So... So there, you know, there there could be this theoretical guy who, you know, really likes to work on physics and he wants to work in this really, you know, interesting scientific program, but he has to join the Nazi party even if he doesn't really subscribe to their beliefs. And then on the other side, there were the guys who were just like so about widespread killing and torture and it was like, oh, hey, I can also study science. It was like, oh, I better study science. Then I can, then so I can I, practice my <laughs> enslaving desires. Right. So I can no party like a Nazi party. Um, so yeah, so all of this technology had been developed through horrendous uh, human rights abuses, and in come the Allies who are fighting the Nazis back to you know small resistance packets all over Middle Germany. And they want the technology. Exactly. And the scientists. And um, this is where Operation Paperclip really starts to uh, take effect. And, and Truman Operation himself- Paperclip, just for the audience, is so named because that's all that MacGyver, MacGyver required to smuggle the Nazis, scientists, <laughs> yeah. out, of, out of Germany. <laughs> 
And that Underground Railroad was known as, I believe, the Rat Trail, was how they would sneak Nazis out of Europe and, you know, into places like South America um, and into our scientific and intellectual community. And paperclip refers to the paperclips that they would attach to the um, sort of made-up personnel files for these Nazis. Because Truman says, look, we can bring German scientists over, President Truman. Oh, not Truman Capote? Yeah, Truman Capote. I read an entire book about this subject, and I thought it was Truman Capote the entire time. <laughs> Truman Capote bombed Japan. <laughs> Operation Paperclip, that's a pretty uninspired name. Let's name it after the things we're using to put the papers together. Well, I always, right. thought, I always thought that, uh, you know, like... It, these really enigmatic names, enigmatic names that you'll read about for these military projects, you know, Operation Overlord, That's like the that. D-Day invasion, that is awesome, right? I and then to read that they were just like, oh, I used a paperclip to seal this file. We'll name it after that. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> way to make World War II lame. Yeah, I hope right. that guy got fired. Whoever was in charge of naming it. Because the millions of people who were slaughtered didn't make World War II lame. It was the paperclips. <laughs> Yeah. Point, point taken. <laughs> 25 million deaths, all ruined by some paper clips. Yeah, exactly. So in addition to these scientists, there was also the intelligence assets um, that were being pulled out. And one of the most interesting guys um, is Austin Powers. Named, named Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, it's, known... really, it's really surprising that England was able to smuggle Austin Powers out of Germany and then totally revamp their 60s landscape through espionage. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so the chief spymaster that they managed to get out um, was a guy named General Reinhard Galen, and he was one of Hitler's top generals, and he had been spending most of the war spying on the Russians. So he basically convinced um, the CIA, newly formed CIA, that they needed to uh, take advantage of his intelligence uh, work and his intelligence network. You know, that's that's a fair description, but it does kind of... Make it sound like it was a nice little deal. He actually took all of his files on mm -hmm. espionage secrets and he that he had, them. yeah, and he buried them in the Austrian Alps. Then exactly. he approached the American army and said, "I am an intelligence uh, agent for uh, the German army. I have information I would be willing to give you. Let's make a deal." And the the movie "It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World" is based on the hunt for those. Uh secret soviet documents right if i'm not mistaken yeah. wasn't that the the precursor for rat race <laughs> yes brian that's how you would know it as rat race right i only see remakes rat race actually has a hilarious klaus barbie joke in it where they go to a barbie museum and it turns out to be a klaus barbie famous <laughs> nazi museum but i think we'll probably get into klaus barbie Later, because We're, in addition to Reinhard, he's one of the most interesting people in this paperclip rogues gallery, as it wait, were. Wait, Lee, did, uh, so you're saying not only did you see Rat Race, but there's a joke in it that was exclusively for you. <laughs> well, it was exclusively for you, and no, I've never seen Rat Race. But <laughs> Banger, my cousin Banger, was like, you got to see you Rat Race. You have a Race cousin named Banger? <laughs> yes. It's a self-applied nickname. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. His name's actually Russell Enben Lindgren III. Okay, because your middle name is Sanger, so yes. I just kind of thought I don't, and I was I was br re really hoping that his middle name was also Sanger, so he was Banger Sanger Golden. <laughs> oh, I, I wish that was so. And um, yeah, he was like, "You got to see Rat Race for all the Nazi jokes." I'm like, "There's so much wrong with that phrase." If there were a movie that was just about making jokes about Nazis, I'd probably see it. I have tricked Brian into seeing so many movies he would not otherwise see by telling him that there were Nazi hidden Nazi jokes in the movie. Yeah, I didn't see any Nazi jokes in Taken. <laughs> well, Brian, you have a very special set of skills, which is identifying Nazi jokes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Mm. Oh, we're talking about serious facts here, people. These incidents coincided with not only the end of World War II, but an ignominious project which brought Nazi scientists and war criminals to this country to exploit their knowledge. Operation Paperclip. Yes, you know of it already. And you must also know the work of Dr. Joseph Mengele, the Nazi angel of death. All right, gentlemen, let's skip ahead a little bit and get to the actual Operation Paperclip. This is the right. conspiracy theory kind of element of the show. 
or sorry, right. of the uh, of the event that happens. <laughs> that would be the Dr. Pepper and Glenlivet talking. So I think that it was originally officially stamped into operation by President Harry Truman uh, in September 1946. Um, I think that's when it officially began. Although this, you know, traipsing around Europe looking for Nazi scientists and spies started, um, you know, even before the war was was over. Because, you know, a lot of the generals sort of figured, shit, we're done. We better start, uh, you know, cracking deals with the Allies. Well, I think a, a lot of the things that were happening in 1945 were just uh, started by Joint Chiefs of Staff and military intelligence because when um, when FDR died, mm-hmm. Truman had only been vice president for a couple weeks. Right. And he definitely hadn't been told about a lot of the clandestine and uh, classified activity that was going on in the United States including the Manhattan Project. Right. He didn't so, even know that the war was happening. They kept him so sheltered. <laughs> His first question is, what does the president do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he didn't even have a Wikipedia to look it up on back then. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, so uh, the military intelligence were looking for these guys. And when Truman signed it into effect as Operation Paperclip, he explicitly said, no former Nazi party members and no one who was uh, under suspicion of having committed war crimes was allowed to be brought back to the United States or utilized for uh, U.S. Uh, intelligence or science. And to quickly recap, this is the 1940s. It was considered taboo to be associated with the Nazis. <laughs> right. Different time and place. And they could just go on their Facebook to like, you know, see if they had like a Nazi badge on there. So, yeah, well, it, it, they had a Nazi status, but it was complicated. Yeah, in a, in a relationship with Adolf Hitler, but it's complicated. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so a lot of the military intelligence people who were working with uh, Nazi doctors and scientists began to create fake pasts for them right. to claim that they had never worked for the Nazis, uh, to claim that they had never had any oversight over human rights abuses and concentration camps, and... So Amer- uh, uh, all these Nazis started flying over to the United States. And mm-hmm. uh, Von Braun famously requested to be John Elway, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> right. Von Braun actually rode a rocket straight from Germany to Fort Bliss, Texas. It took all of 30 minutes. And he waved his cowboy hat around like in... Um, Lolita. And, uh, <laughs> in Lolita, right. <laughs> famous, famous Kubrick movie, Lolita, with the atom bomb. Um, and Barbie wanted to change his last name to uh, Klaus G.I. Joe because he didn't want to be confused with that type of doll. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know that Barbie was kind of a symbol of femininity in the United States because over right. in Germany, every boy wanted a Barbie action doll. Klaus Barbie, though, he was eight feet tall, extremely skinny, and giant-headed. So. I mean, the guy was just built from the ground up. His legs, <laughs> those legs went all the way up, let me tell you. <laughs> But uh, so there, so there are three threads of the Nazis that were that were exploited, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not I'm not uh, that's not like a judgment call, but explo- exploitation operations are what uh, mil- the military calls these kinds of things. Yeah, black exploitation operations. There were the rocket scientists, there were medical uh, doctors, and then there were intelligence officers. So your aviation and rocketry, those are the people that are coming from Panamunda who had worked on fa- the, the V-2 rocket. Ferne right. van Braun, uh, Arthur Rudolf, uh, others like that. And then in the medical realm, a lot of the uh, – m- um, what's his name? Hubertus Strugholt. Doogie Hauser. D- <laughs> God George damn you. Clooney. I was just about to make a Doogie Hauser joke. Oh shit! We're on the same wavelength there. It must be that well, MK Ultra mind experiment we were part of. Yeah. I mean, Doogie Hauser is the most successful Nazi German teenage doctor prodigy, so kind of an obvious <laughs> reference. Well, he he did have that Italian friend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he did use the program Prodigy to get on early versions of the internet. <laughs> um, but uh, Struckholt was a was a doctor for the Luftwaffe. And he had done experiments on human subjects taken from Dachau. And so these are people 
who were like made to drink seawater so that they could find out what would happen to Luftwaffe airmen who went down in, in the sea or the ocean. Uh, they would put them in air pressure chambers and either turn the pressure way up or way down just to see how they would function. Uh, and the answer was poorly. Right. They killed Magneto's mom to try to get him to do stuff. <laughs> I'm trying. You all right there, pal? You think X-Men's funny, <clears throat> huh? Uh, that wasn't a laugh. That was Brian, that was... the Holocaust was an atrocity. So that was, was X-Men were... Origins Wolverine. <laughs> True. Um, uh, I, sorry. Sorry. Sorry to everyone who's ever died. Um, so he had done except human... for Hitler. Fuck you. Except for Hitler. Fuck that guy. So he had done, he had done human experiments. And then in the espionage thread, we have people like Reinhard Galen and Klaus mm. Barbie. So yeah. maybe we should talk a little bit about, uh, about the less interesting ones before we get to Galen. Right. Yes, let's Galen. bury the lead here. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so uh, Fanafan Brown and uh, a bunch of other doctors were sent to Fort Bliss. Well, they were sent to many places, but a lot of them were sent to Fort Bliss, Texas. And they began working on American aeronautics and rocketry. Uh, they were able to, the Americans had been able to salvage millions of parts of V2s and were able to assemble them while still in Germany to view launchings. Mm-hmm. And then they moved them to, uh, to America where they started working on ICBMs uh, and spacecraft. Right. So when NASA started, a lot of the engineers and the rocketry scientists who were working for NASA were Germans. And in fact, Van von Braun became in charge of the Saturn V program that eventually launched American astronauts to the moon. Right. Houston, we have a problem. Nazis. So, so <laughs> basically, America achieved all of Hitler's dreams. Well, it's actually uh, interesting because the V2 program... Hitler wasn't a, fawn, a fan of. He, he kind of wanted to dismantle it, but other uh, elements in Nazi hierarchy were able to keep it going. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Walt Disney um, managed to live out Hitler's dreams uh, in America by owning Star Wars and getting rid of degenerate art. True. And building Tomorrowland, which was... <laughs> right, with Werner von Braun. And yeah. releasing Fantasia, expecting it to be a financial success. <laughs> And freezing himself. <laughs> Something Hitler also failed to do. Do you think when Walt Disney died and they froze his body, they froze it so he's holding Hitler's frozen hand? Well, when so he that when... dies, that's what's going to happen. Oh, oh, when he dies. Yeah, they're both both alive on the island of Lost Kennedys right now, you know, playing um, Monopoly on Xbox. See, I had heard that the movie Face Off is based on a deal that... Walt Disney and Hitler made to switch faces for a year to see what happens. <laughs> and then, of course, on Walt Disney's watch, the Nazi Empire falls. But on uh, Hitler's watch, the Disney, Empi- the Disney Empire <laughs> explodes. It's a small world after all. I mean, when you look at all the gambles Walt Disney took, it doesn't make sense until you realize that it was actually Hitler making all of those big gambles. Oh, my God. Wow. So even the Aristocats? <laughs> Especially <laughs> yeah. the Aristocats. Uh, what's interesting is, like, uh, Lee, like you had said, um, Fanafon Brown worked with Disney on some informational f- films about the America's rocket programs. Yeah, he was an and- Imagine-Nazi. but he um so i i I was watching this movie you can see it on youtube and it's fanna von brown talking to and uh uh, arthur rudolph talking to kids about rockets and what will happen in the future with space exploration and you know going to the moon and the the enslavement of the underman (laughs) (laughs) but they even introduce him as the former director of the v2 program they didn't even try to hide that. What they did try to hide was the fact that as the director, he was well aware of yeah. all of the uh, slave labor that was going yeah. into manufacturing different parts for 
the V2 rockets. Unlike Harry Truman, Disney had a directive that everyone he hired had to have a Nazi um, background. So <laughs> a lot of the times, Nazi party membership. they would right. create they, false they... dossiers that made them seem like Nazis, even though they weren't. <laughs> That's how they made the Davy Crockett movie. So Odessa was able to uh, basically stash a lot of um, their uh, ex-Nazi officers at Disneyland. Oh, yes, uh, definitely. That was a huge refuge for former Nazis. Right. Um, and then, uh, so so that, those were some of the people that were working for NASA. And in Werner von Braun's case, nothing really happened to him. He He's still celebrated as you know, sort of the father of American rocketry and the father of German rocketry. And he's still seen as having been a positive in American history. He didn't have, uh, unlike some of the uh, other names, I guess we'll cover. He didn't have a kind of marathon man type comeuppance later in life. Right. Right. Well, he, he would often torture people by pulling their teeth out and asking if it's safe. But uh, that was just, that was a side issue. That had nothing to do with his Nazi background. Yeah, a figurative right. Dustin Hoffman never uh, never caught up with him. They, they also did horrible experiments in concentration camps where they made people wait in line for rides that only lasted a couple minutes to see how the human psyche would deal with that. Yeah, to see how long uh, a person could go before they would get out of line. They <laughs> yeah, realized exactly. that the way to keep them in line was providing overpriced churros for sale. Just to the side of the line. Right. The concept of the fast pass also came out of, also came out of these concentration camps. It was originally known as the fascist fascist. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, one of the other people that we've mentioned, Artur Rudolph, yeah. he actually was investigated yep. sev- several times uh, by the Department of Justice in, in this country. And he fled, right, to avoid prosecution. Well, they made a deal. They cut a deal with him in 1984. So this is almost 40 full years after the war is over. In 1984, they made a deal where they said, okay, your Nazi background has come to light you have to flee the country. Or work and, at Disneyland. <laughs> and work at Euro Disney. <laughs> Euro Disney. Uh, and he had to renounce his American citizenship. But he did. He moved back to Germany and he uh, regained his German citizenship and lived out the rest of his life there. It wasn't very long, but, you know, that he, he basically didn't suffer very much. He didn't <laughs> pay for his crimes. Well, here's my question. Why did... Uh... Arthur Rudolph's past catch up to him, but not Von Brown's. Is it just because uh, Von uh, Rudolph's past happened to be happened to get some publicity and Von Brown's didn't? Or, well, Rudolph only worked at Knott's Berry Farm, so he wasn't as protected by the you know. <laughs> oh, I guess. Boss. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, uh, when Fanny Von Brown thought that they were about to close in on him and reveal his Nazi past. He uh, bit down on the cyanide pill that he always kept with him right. and ended his life. He was able to hide in his specially designed bunker beneath Tomorrowland, whereas <laughs> Rudolph was basically left out in the open. Right. Uh, and then that other, uh, the medical uh, doctor that I was talking about earlier who worked for the Luftwaffe doing awful experiments, like maybe maybe a step down from Joseph Mengele, but still just horrendous human experimentation. He uh, he also was investigated several times by the Department of Justice, but basically nothing happened to him. He just he just lived out his life and died an old man. I mean, wasn't it kind of punishment enough to have to live under the shadow of Mangala, like just knowing that you were never going to be better than him, knowing that you would never institute uh, a program cloning Hitler in Brazil several <laughs> right. decades later? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, well I mean that that but that was more yeah, that was more of a professional one-upsmanship. And so, you know, it's it's not as related to having being forced to move to Texas. Yeah. Famously yeah, difficult guy to work with, Mangala. Mangala, it's Mengala. Mangala, whatever. <laughs> he doesn't deserve to have his name pronounced right. Texas the uh, Nazi Germany of America. <laughs> Uh, but then in terms of Reinhard Galen, we have a whole other very interesting story that's 
that has its fingers in many different pies all across Eastern and Western Europe. Now, what kind of pie are we talking about here, Brian? We're talking about boysenberry pie. We're talking about huckleberry pie. Oh, geez. You weren't kidding. Indeed, I wasn't. But yes, Lee, you were sorry, you were about to say something about Galen. Well, um, the thing about Galen is that, like most spy masters, it's very difficult to know when he is telling the truth and, you know, when he is telling a lie. And one of the ways that Galen managed to maintain his place in the, the Western um, intelligence community after the war is that he always was telling the Allies um, that the Russians were about to attack. He would always tell, you know, the Americans, oh, the Russians are just about to attack. Like, um, whenever they would move into a new Soviet bloc, um, you know, country and take it over, um, you know, Galen would say, oh, these are fresh troops. These are, you know, these are invasion troops. They're going to push right through over the Iron Curtain. And so he really used the fear of communism to, you know, stay around for as long as he did. And, you know, when they... Oh, go ahead. Well, one, one thing that he did that, uh, just to loop it back to what we were talking about earlier, is uh, a lot of the information that he was able to gather on Eastern Europe was just immediately sent to the president because the CIA hadn't really gotten a hold on uh, on itself and how to do things. And they recognized the fact that the Galen organization was already so uh, well situated that the information that they were getting was probably trustworthy and so it led to this idea of in the 50s of the missile gap which is that the mm-hmm. soviet union had way more nuclear missiles than america and america was falling behind yeah. which actually john kennedy used in the 1960 election to attack nixon saying that eisenhower and nixon were soft on communism and had allowed a missile gap to develop between the soviet union and america which you know we later learned was basically untrue also, he was hotter than Nixon, which, let's face it, that's really why he won. Yeah, yeah, let's just be honest. But the thing is, Galen's organization was compromised by the communists, and how they did it is the communist agents would go up to Galen's agents and say, hey, we know that you guys are former Nazis and that Paperclip whitewashed your record, so we're going to go to the Americans and show them your real record, and you're going to get kicked out of Paperclip. Um, so these guys were blackmailed into being double agents for the communists. So, you know, who knows how much um, garbage was being shoved down the pipeline in the the Galen organization. Right. It's, you know, it's it's not only Galen who's a sort of a shadowy figure Mm -hmm. who really focuses on self-preservation and the preservation of other fellow former SS officers and Nazis. Uh, But it's also just the fact that the Soviets were very good at running their own spies at the time the soviet union had several spies or sorry not at the time but earlier in 1945 the soviet union already had its own spies working in the manhattan project and so when truman at i believe it was yalta kind of winked at um uh, or maybe not yalta yeah, fdr was still alive from at yalta. yeah what what are potsdam yeah. At at Potsdam, he sort of winked at Stalin and was like, we have a new weapon we're going to use uh, in Japan. Hellboy. Stalin was already more aware of the nuclear program than Truman. Right. Because they had such successful uh, espionage activities being run in America. So the fact that the Soviet Union was infiltrating the Galen organization, it now seems totally reasonable. But at the time, it was uh, a little bit more mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two of his early recruits were Emil Oshberg and Dr. Franz Six, who had been part of mobile killing squads. Yeah, um, if you look Shapo. up Six, that if you look up uh, uh, Six's history, he's just like such a gross dude. Yeah, just just a, participated in like Bobby Yar and other horrible uh, uh, just genocidal activities that happened on the Eastern Front. Didn't Way change his underwear than... for several days at a time. <laughs> yeah. He was only a one shower a month kind of a guy. Way worse than Chad Ochosenko in terms of foreign guys with numbers as names. <laughs> well, I don't know about way worse. <laughs> Slightly worse. Chad Ochosenko definitely has his share of yeah. murders. 
Galen was responsible for so much activity that was coming into the United States that he was basically shaping American foreign policy against the Soviet Union, which is just crazy. So we basically owe our communist paranoia to Galen. In part, yes, we do. Yeah, I mean, that's he, he fed off of it, but he also fed it. And that is the most terrifying part of Operation Paperclip, is the, the idea that Nazi intellectualism uh, infiltrated the, the intellectual zeitgeist of our country, and that our modern um, sort of intellectual class has, you know, been, um, you know, muddled by Nazi thought. And, you know, a lot of these guys later ended up becoming friends with, you know, Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon. And, uh, you know, it was once said during the Nixon administration that we might be the first country that goes Nazi um, with <laughs> through through elections. And I think that's the real terrifying part of this. And like, yeah, we, we got a lot of stuff from these Nazi guys. But, you know, you would like to think that as Americans, we could have done it on our own and we didn't need their help. Right. Right. I mean, even if even if the the point was to prevent that science and those researchers from going to the Soviet Union, it didn't necessarily mean that America had to like sell its soul and take advantage of these people who are guilty of horrible, horrible crimes in order to obtain that technology and that knowledge. It, it would be sort of like if, you know, we learned maybe a decade from now that uh, America had been... Uh, you know, after they arrested certain Al-Qaeda operatives, they were like, oh, you guys have some technology and information that we need to know. You guys can just work for us in these secret bases in America as opposed to being, you know. But how do we know that's not well, happening? To, yeah, to, I mean. well, to be fair, to be fair, George W. Bush did hire Al-Qaeda to help him plan 9-11. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Really? What, what I was, what I was trying to say is, think about how outraged people today would be yeah. if they learned that the uh, truth that George Bush hired Al Qaeda to help him plan nine eleven. Well, and and the weird thing about that is Al Qaeda relied on so much rocket technology that had been developed by the Nazis during World War Two. Yeah. So paperclip just keeps paying off for the uh, shadow government. I mean, that runs well, the crazy country. part is when you go to Disneyland and you go to Frontierland, which was designed by Osama bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, to mimic his camps in the Afghan mountains. Yeah, you're, regions. you're basically walking through the Af. Yeah, exactly the Afghan mountains. Well, God. you know, it, what Congress at some point passed a bill. That basically said during the 1980s said that, you know, if you were a Nazi criminal, you can't have refuge in the United States. And I forget the name of the congresswoman who put this forward, but basically she found out about paperclip during the 70s and 80s and was like, this is not acceptable. You know, a generation of people suffered and died to get rid of these guys. And here they are hanging out at fucking Disneyland. Man, how <laughs> annoying does it get when you're like in the CIA and like some – congressman or woman like decides to read up on u.s history and it's like oh look at all these atrocities we committed hey we should make a law it's like ah <laughs> come on i i think it's probably as annoying as when you're waiting in line for the matterhorn <laughs> and then some nazi takes his fast pass and just goes to the front of the line because he's some sort of special oh, yeah fuck. like you've been Ooh. waiting the whole time to get in that front seat yeah it's like hey nazis i played fair so should you <laughs> They should, yeah. That's the that's the thing we should be making laws about. Nazis <laughs> should not pass. be able to use to get acquire fast passes in the United States unless they're going on the Indiana Jones ride to get killed by Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would make that ride so much better. Actual Nazis, they shuffle out eighty-eight-year-old men, <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, and Harrison Ford." himself shoots them during the ride and they pick, they pick one of the, they, they pick one of the audience to help out they're like okay here's a gun shoot that man he's a nazi i can't imagine a better post-film career move for harrison ford than shooting nazis on the harrison ford on the indiana jones ride see that shit would be acceptable at disneyland tokyo you know but like in america that's just that's just too crazy but i'm sure there well, are if shows they filmed in... it if they filmed it and televised it it would be acceptable in this country right but they would have to blur out all of the pubic hair <laughs> <laughs> so 
Can we talk about another V2 guy, a guy named Walter Donberger? Sure. What, what about him? So Walter Donberger was um, later uh, working at Bell Labs, you know, developed Bell Helicopters. And one of the guys that worked for uh, Walter Donberger was a guy named Michael Payne. Brian, you know uh, who Michael Payne is, right? Yes. Yes, I do. He uh, he was a he and his wife were friendly with the Oswalds. Yeah, Oswald uh, kept uh, the rifle that was allegedly used uh, to kill the president at the Paynes household, and the Paynes were the ones that told um, you know the the local police that that Oswald had this gun. And Ruth Payne was in, the... In fact, they found the photographs in, in their garage, the famous photograph of him holding the rifle and exactly. the, the militant and the worker. The infamous backyard photos. Um, and um, the Paynes were the ones that got Oswald the job at the book depository. So Mae Russell, a uh, famous um, conspiracy researcher... Um, and um, host of uh, a conspiracy show uh, in Monterey, she basically thinks that um, these former Nazi guys and their CIA contacts um, and guys like George de Morenshield basically uh, manipulated the Kennedy assassination. So wait, there, you, there, she's saying that in 1945, they were like, listen, in 15 years, this asshole is going to be elected president. Yep. We need to start. We need to get into America now so <laughs> yeah. that we can prevent this from happening. So basically, we need to do our JFK episode all over again and blame the it's Nazis. It's all going to come back to it. I mean, every conspiracy is going to come back to the JFK conspiracy. It's the, the nexus of all of this shit. Yeah, it's First Avenue and First Street intersecting. Right. <laughs> yeah, who else is in this rogues gallery? I, did we, we talked about how Klaus Barbie um, probably helped the CIA kill Che Guevara after he was shuffled out of the country by John J. McCloy, who served on the Warren Commission, right? Uh, no, we didn't. We did not what happened? That, no. Right. So Mc, John J. McCloy, um, who uh, later served on the Warren Commission, was infamously told... Um, Roosevelt, don't bomb the railroad track going to Auschwitz because that would just really make the um, Germans mad. And what they would do to the Jewish people would be way worse um, than anything they're doing now. And the question is, okay, well, what could possibly be worse than the Holocaust? But whatever. So McCloy is one of the guys funneling people out of the country as part of Paperclip. And one of the most infamous guys he gets out is Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon. Um, he was shuffled out of the country by John J. McCloy, who later went to serve on the Warren Commission. And he was in Bolivia during the late 60s. And it is claimed that he was instrumental in assisting the CIA in uh, murdering and capturing Che Guevara, the infamous uh, revolutionary, who Klaus Barbie said was a weak um, adventurer and would not have, you know, lasted more than two days during World War II. So, basically... Barbie was kind of like the uh, anti-guerrilla expert, sort of. Well, he had, he'd, you know, warred against the French resistance while he was stationed yeah. in Lyon. So, yeah, he had, he had experience in, uh, you know, Getting rid of revolutionaries and getting rid of rebellious uh, uh, citizens. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that that kind of incident right there basically points at just how disruptive this this paperclip operation was. I mean, these guys should have been stopped. That's the whole reason why we fought World War II. And suddenly we are instrumental in letting them loose and they're off controlling and affecting, you know, foreign policy all over the country. It's and all over the world, rather. It's kind of terrifying. Uh, luckily, Klaus Barbie was later captured and flown back to France, where he yes. he did go to trial and he was found found guilty of uh, committing more crimes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually a, an interesting movie called uh, Dev Devil's Advocate that that is about his uh, his defense lawyer, and the lawyer basically rested his case on the fact that. How can we uh, per prosecute Klaus Barbie, who committed these acts, which are very similar to acts that French officials and military figures committed in uh, F French France's right. colonial wars? Man, Barbie, that bitch has everything. Yeah. Dr. Werner von Braun. He was also overall director of the development of the original V-2 rocket. 
The training methods for future space flight and the special equipment needed for survival are much like those of present high altitude flying. And the experiments we are making today are helping us to solve the more complex problems to come. So, gentlemen, in summary, conspiracy or not a conspiracy? Brian, I'd say conspiracy. You say Definitely a conspiracy. We have multiple people planning secret activities in all sorts of different ways. Uh, definitely a conspiracy. Definitely true. Um, I think that this is something the History Channel made up to get ratings. But I think all the stuff about Disneyland <laughs> yeah. being Nazis is, is true. Yes. Yeah, that's probably I think, yeah, true. I agree that the uh, construction of Disneyland by Nazis was definitely a conspiracy. But um, smuggling Nazis out of Germany into the United States, I don't know. Sounds like it's on the up yeah. and up to me. So I'm going to go half conspiracy. Okay. Half, I, half lone man acted. Well, uh, Paperclip was also part of an X-Files episode where one of the Nazi doctors who was smuggled out helped create alien-human right. hybrids. That's true, uh, though. So that's true. That part is. Actually, I'm going to go around. Now that you told <laughs> yeah. me that it's on the X-Files, I'm going to say this is 100% true conspiracy. Yeah, right. I have to change my answer, too. 100% conspiracy. Okay. Except for the Disneyland <laughs> yeah. part. That's 98%. Which is just a wonderful, wonderful dream. Well, I mean, that's just Hitler with Walt Disney's face acting alone. And you need more than one person for a conspiracy. Thank you for listening to Inside Jobs. You can visit us at our website, InsideJobsCast.com Our Twitter is at InsideJobsCast And if you've got a tip on a conspiracy or if there's some conspiracy that you would like to hear about call us at our hotline 413-225-1963 Thank you Lee and thank you Brian for joining me today on this symposium on Operation Paperclip Thank you for having me I always embrace an opportunity to talk about how awful Nazis were. I always embrace someone who is a blonde girl whose uh, grandfather was a Nazi so that I know that somewhere in hell he's watching his daughter get fucked by a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I embrace, Brian. <laughs> Fucking Nazi lover. I would also like to say if anybody out there, uh, if you guys enjoy the show, if you give us a rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. Because those help uh, help get other people to 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 find out about the show. Those yeah, those five star ratings help us get closer to the truth. Uh, yeah. Four or four or less stars help us get further and further away from the truth. From what I understand, ratings on iTunes are the only things the Illuminati is powerless over. <laughs> so the more five star ratings we get the more we can fight back against that shadowy conspiracy world government. Yeah, take that Leonard Maltin in your four-star rating system. (laughs) Okay, should I stop recording? Man, do you think people will ever learn that we are actually Illuminati and we're just recording a bunch of false information for them? (laughs) 